Welcome to the Agile Uprising Podcast. Yeah, it's the Agile Uprising Podcast. It's Jay Hersko, your host again. We're going with the cold open here. I'm joined by my uh, fellow collaborators, partners in crime, coming at us from the left coast, Mr. Mike Cannell. Mike, thanks for joining us. Howdy, y'all. And joining us once again, uh, the notorious B-E-N. Ben, how's it going? Good. Good, good. Thanks for scheduling this before I'm bet- my bedtime. Yeah, we, we got to get this done because uh, at like, you know, 9.07, Ben turns into a turnip. So this is an unscripted episode this week. And it came about from a conversation that the three of us were having. And we were talking about, Honestly, there's a, there's a little bit of malaise, if you will, in the agile industrial complex. And we were talking about some of the things we've read lately, some of the things we've gotten into that are either um, adjacent to what we do professionally, agile and coaching and technology, or even just kind of out there, but really stuck with us and resonated and, and made us think. So what we're going to do is we're going to have an unscripted episode where we're just going to chat about some of the things that we've read, how it relates to what we what we do professionally, and maybe some of you listeners will get something out of it and find a book or two to read or a podcast to listen to. So with that being said, I guess we'll go rotationally, and I'm going to start with you, Mike. So what is one of the things that you've read as of late that has really stuck with you, um, not necessarily agile, that you think is important that people should be paying attention to? So um, one of the most impactful things I've read was the book From Contempt to Curiosity, by Caitlin Walker, which was the gateway drug into clean language. And shout out to Claudia Orozco Gomez for <clears throat> turning me onto that book. And literally that has changed the way that I interact with many slash most people. Just, and couple that with- um, Strong, it's a strong suggestion. Yeah. And, and probably, well, couldn't have gotten worse, so it's only up from here. <laughs> um, and uh, couple that with uh, Leadership is Language by David Marquet, and those two together make a pretty powerful combination. And again, not strictly speaking, Big A Agile, but it they, they get to the essence of uh, individuals and interactions. Have you read either of those, Ben? Um. No, no, I haven't. I started Contempt to Curiosity, but the chapters were too long and I kept falling asleep. That's a strong theme in today's episode, isn't it? Me falling asleep. <laughs> ben, ben being tired. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't read Caitlin's book, but I have read Leadership as Language and I really enjoyed the concept of red work and blue work mm-hmm. and how it's important to, we, we always joke about the term analysis paralysis and I thought it was really pertinent to what we do as coaches, consultants, change agents, you need to balance the thinking time versus action time. Because if you're all action, it's it's ready, fire, aim. Where if you're all thinking, it's ready, aim, ready, aim, ready, aim, ready, aim. So that that conceptually, I thought was a, an, an eye-opening concept that anybody could use at work, yeah. talking about how there needs to be an equal balance of thinking and doing time. And typically you bookend the doing time with the thinking yeah. time. And where, where the two kind of connected for me in my head um, was was around the language and the questions and the words that that we use as as people who want to in, instigate conversation and collaboration and connection um, you know simple things in our language and that's that's kind of the essence of both of those is very 
being very deliberate about the words and the questions and the language so that you're creating uh, an openness and you're inviting people to speak what's on their mind as opposed to asking close-ended directive questions, cutting down psychological safety, setting them down a, a, a predetermined path. And so uh, they're, they're just fantastic tools. And, and both both books, the, the thinking, the language, or the, the um, body of work behind them, I think is phenomenally useful no matter what you do. If you interact with one other, one or more other human beings, I think they're useful. Okay. Okay. How about you, Ben? What's something that you've either read or followed or picked up lately that's been rattling around up there that it's not necessarily agile, but you think people could probably get a lot of mileage out of it? Oh yeah, definitely. And I'm actually, I'm kind of pleased Mike didn't use this as his number one draft pick because <laughs> I know you just read, read her book recently, but please, please feel free to pile on here. Uh, Annie Duke stuff. So she's, as far as I know, she's got three books out thinking in bets, how to decide and quit, quit, just yep. quit. <laughs> um, and it's just fantastic it, to tie it in a little bit closer to the agile stuff. Um, between her and Vacanti's books, these are probably the two biggest influences on me in terms of probabilistic thinking. And just kind of acknowledging that all of life is just a bunch of definite maybes and you don't really know anything for sure. And being able to approach decisions and plans and all those types of things with that type of uh, mindset helps everything. And you know, you, you stop putting so much emphasis on things like estimation and and deterministic plans and roadmaps. And you start thinking about these things in kind of a healthier, more probabilistic way that acknowledges the uncertainty that's inherent in all of it. And I mean, I, I think one of the examples she uses is, you know, even when you go to a restaurant and you decide what you're going to order for lunch, even that's a bet, right? Like you're betting that what you order is going to be better and more satisfying to you than everything else that is potentially on the menu, right? So any anything we do in life, if you think about it, is kind of a bet. Um, and so for me, that's the framing that she does is, is, is fantastic. And I was, I was telling Mike as well, I, I actually kind of prefer listening to her on a, on a podcast more so than reading her books even. Uh, but I suppose she narrates her own audiobooks, right? Mike? Correct. Yeah. So that, that's probably good. quite good. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say, you can have the best of both worlds, check them out on audio on audible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, um, I definitely fell fell prey to this one and bought this right after you guys started talking about it. So that's yeah. another another one in a different pile. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. upstairs. If, if I can though, want to tag on to what something Ben was saying, and loop it into another thing. Um, but yeah, uh, thinking in bets was uh, hugely influential. It and uh, the company I'm working with currently uh, puts an emphasis on product thinking and and true like product thinking, not just we're going to wallpaper some words on it, like legit uh, product uh, management type stuff. And um, uh, one of the things that we try to uh, coach and teach our clients is the idea of thinking of your product as a series of experiments and literally structuring your backlog as a series of experiments. So the probabilistic thinking and thinking in bets really connects in well with that. Um, but then um, the book that Ben hasn't gotten to yet that I just finished uh, last week or early this week uh, by Annie Duke is titled Quit, 
and the essence of it is how, you know, quote, quitting is perceived as weak or bad, but it's really just the other, the other dimension of persisting or persevering. And that um, we, we don't culturally, we don't think of, we think of quitting, you know, of, of pers persevering as, as being strong, but it's actually, you can um, persevere too long and be mm -hmm. wasting time on stuff that's not going to pan out. So knowing when, yeah, she, she even quotes the Kenny Rogers song, you got to know when to hold them, know when to hold them, <laughs> know when to walk away. Um, and as I was listening to that, it, it occurred to me, like, this is talking about how you would make product um, based, product centric decisions. Like, how long do you continue investing in this product or not? And, mm -hmm. and just there's a ton of very relevant uh, examples in it. But then as you were talking about uh, probabilistic thinking, um, uh, this morning I was listening to um, Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which is more of like starting a company, um, build, building and growing a company, and his experience with uh, 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 was like the cloud provider. Um, AWS? No, it was before all that, <clears throat> like uh, uh, Open Cloud or Better Cloud and then Hopsware and, and all. But the, uh, <clears throat> some of the advice that, uh, that, that Ben Horowitz was, uh, was given was think there's people who think like uh, statisticians and people who think calculus. So building and running a company or building in and exploring a new product is more like probability and statistics and less like calculus. So mm. <clears throat> there's another angle where that same perspective comes to. Huh. And arguably, you know, Ben Horowitz is uh, a credible source. <laughs> <laughs> arguably. <laughs> um, so you brought it up, Mike, you brought up Andy Duke's book and the idea of quitting and, and you know, Kenny Rogers, no one, no one to hold him, no one to fold him. You made me think of one of the books that I've read. I, I, it has to be two years now, I think, but it really did change my life. And it is not even remotely agile specific. It's ranged by David Epstein, hmm. where he talks about the importance of generalists in a specialized world. One of his exact call outs is the it's the concept of learning to drop your familiar tools, which is about quitting, where you need to know when to just, you know, you need to drop everything that you think, you know. Um, and he also talked about somebody else was quitting was uh, the idea of too much grit. Mm -hmm. So being mm -hmm. too gritty and sticking yep. for it. And the example he gives is Van Gogh because Van Gogh failed at absolutely <laughs> everything he tried to do. Arguably, he also failed as a painter. He didn't become famous until he was dead. But but the idea of um, grit and just slugging it out, sometimes you need to um, you need to pull the ripcord. Right? You need to pull the record. His exact quote is, if we treated careers more like dating, nobody would settle down so quickly. <laughs> but I mean, if you want to talk about to our listeners, how does this relate to what we do as agile coaches, change agents, practitioners, you start to understand, and this is, the, I, I, if I'm going to be completely honest, this reading this book is what led me to be kind of disillusioned with agile and the agile industrial complex, because I knew a lot about that one thing, but I felt like well, this is the kick in the pants to, that I need to know more. I need to stop spending so much time reading all these books that can truthfully, I mean, there's some good nuggets in there, but they get a little derivative when you read enough of them. And this forced me out of my, this forced me to look at other things really into the realm of human behavior 
Um, not psychology, not to be the point where I'd be a, a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but it, it forces me to think more about these decaying carbon meat suits we're walking around, <laughs> right? With this terrifying electrical impulse engine sitting on top of them, which generates everything that we do. And, and I find that's probably one of the biggest suggestions, which will be a theme as we keep going around the horn, things like range and things like um, the Lucifer Principle by Howard Bloom, we did an episode on, which talks about what, you know, the five aspects of what really is motivating people. Anything by Richard Dawkins. I mean, that, the human animal is really, 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 really fascinating. And the more I read, the more I realize that we know less about our brains than we think we do. And instead of maybe going to Mars, we should be investing in understanding how our brains actually work because it is Im- impressively, impressively terrifying is the, is the word I'll use, impressively terrifying. Yeah. Uh, speak, speaking of the human animal, um, yeah, Ben, ben kind of got me interested enough to um, to pull down Sapiens on Audible. Yeah. Uh, yep. Another another book that that changed how I look at things. Uh, I wish I could have gotten Scott on the show, our good friend Swagner. He swears that's the book that changed his life. He swears. Yeah. And it, listen, listening to consuming Sapiens, that's a there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, the first part of it's kind of like you know the history of the of the animal Homo sapien, and like, eh, okay, but. It, it it eventually it I came away from that with a better understanding of how people react in different situations and why they behave the way they do. Kind of back to your tagline, Jay. We're fighting biology. I think if you look through through Jay's reading list, there's a a uh, a thread of things related to biology. Like you know, one you got me hooked on was the moral molecule. I don't, yep. did, you, did you get to that one, Ben? Uh, no, I've downloaded it, but that's it. <laughs> He's got my book report. It's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, go on but, about that one, Mike. Talk about that one a bit. Um, <clears throat> it's been a minute, but uh, the, what stuck with me is the the moral molecule is um, ox, uh, is it oxytocin. Yep. Yeah, and how the this how we our bodies are built to um seek this positive reinforcement sometimes it's generically referred to as the hit of dopamine but um how this uh a chemical reaction in our brains drives how we behave and if we understand that chemical reaction and the triggers to it then we can understand why people make the choices that they do better that's that's you know after a five and a half hour flight that I was working the whole flight that's the best I can come up with sorry no it's you pretty much nail it it's the importance of oxytocin in the home cycle in the brain and we are genetically predispositioned to seek that feeling um, I also learned that cheese when you eat cheese it has the same it it creates the same chemical reaction in your brain as doing drugs hmm. so Doritos like Doritos literally are like crack in that regard because they create the exact same feeling and they are they are they are baked and created that specific way because it makes you want to eat the whole bag makes you want to eat more makes you want to eat more but where you know how to tie that back into what we do is change agents and practitioners and and coaches understand having a different view and an understanding of how 
the human brain works helps us uh, better uh, understand and perceive how our uh, coworkers and bosses and coaches or whatever term uh, why they're reacting the way they are and yeah it it just it kind of opens my field of view a bit so that when when i experience uh, a reaction or an action or a, an input um, it gives me in one of many other lenses to look at it through and uh and try not to get um caught in the emotion of it right we're all we're all biological monsters you know, the day. Yeah. You know as, as men we're arguably upright bears with thumbs right i mean arguably <laughs> uh ben what else what else have you been reading that is not <clears throat> in the agile nerdery wheelhouse that you find people people if people would give it a give it a beat they'd get a lot of mileage out of it so i've, I've got a few out there ones that kind of connect to the human being theme um so i'll start with the cheesy one one is salem's lot stephen king um, so it, I don't even remember what happened in the book, but what I do remember is there's a big emphasis on evil being a little lowercase E as opposed to an uppercase E, you know, we always want to paint people as sort of, you're the, you're the big evil dragon over there breathing fire and we're the good people over here. But the whole point is, I think it's like vampires or whatever, like vampires yeah. spread throughout the town based on everybody's little E version of evil, like little secrets and, you know, gossip and things like that. And that's how it kind of spreads. So the point is, I think it ties into what Mike was just saying, like everyone has kind of different viewpoints and the, the propensity to do both good and evil within them. And it all just kind of depends what the situation is, what the context is. So that's, that was one of them I thought, I thought was good. Another one that's way out there, uh, guns, germs, and steel. Well, I guess not Jared, that out there. We did. No, we not that out there. Jared Diamond. Well. Yep. Not yeah. out there. Yeah. Um, and so for me, that's big takeaway from that book was essentially there's all these things about, you know, if you if you came from Eurasia, there's these different advantages. So, for example, you know, if you're all a kind of across the northern uh, hemisphere, then the, the climate isn't that dramatically different. Whereas if you kind of go from the north of Canada down to the bottom of South America, you've got you've got wildly different climates all the way through. And so it just, it's not as conducive to trade and, and different seeds working out and all that type of stuff. So there's all these sort of geographical reasons why um, essentially I, it always kind of answered the question for me, how come Euro Europeans seem to just colonize so much of the world? It didn't, the math didn't really add up for me on that one. And I didn't really understand why, but reading uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel kind of helps paint this picture of why geography matters so much, why the underlying structure and underlying factors matter so much. I think that matters a ton for our job. We can, we can put lipstick on the pig all we want and say, hey, look, you do this process. Now you're, you're good to go. But it doesn't actually do anything, right? Like you really have to look at the underlying structure and consider like what's under, under the reason, which is under the reason, which is under the reason. And so Guns, Germs, and Steel really did that for me. And then that uh, ties is, to not to interrupt you, Ben, but that ties to the conversation Mike and I just had with Cesario Ramos for creating agile organizations, where he talks about that whole idea of copy pasting scrum and how if you don't change your structure, your underlying substrate, it's the equivalent of trying to put wallpaper on a wall that's got popcorn on it. Right. The popcorn. It's not going to stick. It's it, you haven't created the right environment for it to adhere. Your your lipstick. Yeah. Lipstick yep. on the pink. Yep. Yeah. Wasting your time. Yep. Um, 
And then the last one, this, this connects with a lot of the stuff in your wheelhouse, Jay, that like the status game and all that, uh, wanting. So the, the whole mimetic desire fad that's been kind of going, going through these past few years, but the, the idea that we don't want things because we want them, we want them because other people want them. And, you know, the, the whole idea of, we have some mimetic models who are totally out of reach that can, um, you know, drive us to kind of reach a new level by inspiring us. We can also have mimetic rivals who are more peers who we just kind of have this unhealthy uh, rivalry and kind of descends into something where eventually we need some sort of scapegoat to purge in order to kind of set things straight again. So I, to me, that's really interesting because I don't know about you guys, but when I first really started drinking the Agile Kool-Aid, it actually had nothing to do with Agile. It's just because of that Dan Pink video where it's sort of all about autonomy, <laughs> mastery, and purpose. And for some reason, I overly associated that with Scrum, which was really dumb. But um, but but yeah, it's you know we love talking about the people thing. We love talking about these positive things of autonomy, mastery, and purpose. But I don't think we talk enough about some of the potentially not so positive things like rivalries and status and pecking order and all those types of things. Um, so yeah, the wanting stuff, I, I don't know if there's, I don't think there's a speck of science behind it, but it's a really interesting lens to, to view humans through. Like you said, it ties very directly to Will Storrs, the status game, which I can't, yeah. I can't suggest enough to everybody. It's he's, he's a funny author, like in the sense of if he was sitting there next to you at a bar on a bar stool and you didn't know him at all in an airport bar, like Mike's getting ready to board a flight and this guy just starts talking you would really enjoy the conversation because to your point, no, not there's some science there, but not a lot, but it hits on the notes of what we want as people <clears throat> and how mm. we're constantly seeking status in the different games we play, which for what we do, I mean, we always talk about being cognizant of your environment and being cognizant of the people you work for. And, you know, to be empathetic with the fact that it's not, it's not necessarily malicious if they don't air quote, get it. It's just that their behavior that they're used to is incongruent with what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned it. So you mentioned stuff that um, you mentioned fucking wanting and I haven't read that yet. Uh, <laughs> the two things that jumped out of me is Ken Kolkier's framers, which I know mm. we talked a lot about the idea of how we, you know, frames is how our brains simplify reality and how to shift the frame. And you have three aspects of a frame. What is it? Causality constraints and counterfactuals. So looking at a problem through a frame and then shifting one attribute or so of the frame in order to change your POV. I, I and I know and shout out to Andy Clef. I know he's read it. I had him and I going down the rabbit hole on that. Um, I am convinced that we can find what's next for Agile if we got a bunch of us who are open-minded in a room and use this set of behavior and practice. I'm pretty sure we could figure out what's next, probably turn it into a cert, make a lot of money. Um, but that I, I definitely no, suggest, no. <laughs> I definitely suggest that to everybody. Cause it also ties to problem solving. It ties to, to your Mike's point about knowing when you're stuck, uh, the most, if we're going to talk about weird stuff, right. Ben said Salem's lot, which isn't weird. By the way, I would argue that's probably Stephen King's best book. Second only to maybe, I don't know, either the shining or Christine, right. Maybe, um, probably the weirdest thing I've read, which I've actually gotten mileage out of is Dr. Deborah Gordon from Stanford. She's a biologist and she studies ants. So I read a book of hers on ant encounters and it deals with um, um, uh, collective behavior, systems that cooperate without central control, um, self-organization, emergence, t- t- talking to, uh, tying back to David Epstein and range about how, you know, the, the generalists, right? Because most ants are generalists and people don't realize that. They kind of just sit around waiting for it to be told what to do and flow comes into play 
because mm-hmm. they are <laughs> slack in the system waiting to be told oh. Mike, the worker ant goes by Ben, the worker ant and gives him the signal via pheromone that, Hey, we need food. So Ben stops what he was doing, which is really just basically sitting around uh, napping or, or fighting with the leaf blower. And he goes and he gets more food. So it's, so, I mean, how yeah. this is bizarre. And I feel a uh, shout out to Claudia Orozco Gomez, who I brought her on this journey with me. And I, I kind of terrified her. She was like, Jay, why am I reading about ants? But there are some really, really interesting corollaries to what we do when you think about enterprise behavior and how do we organize a system to be resilient and, and self-reliant and self-organizing. I, I got a lot out of that, Mike. So, Jay, um, so you, you reminded me of uh, one of the bits out of the Annie Duke book, Quit. She, she went on for like a chap, a full chapter about ants and how... Um, how ants are always exploring. And she, she explained about the pheromone trail and how the ants are you know, getting the food, but they're always looking. They, they always have some ants going out exploring, looking for better sources of food. And they're prepared for that. She used the uh, analogy that the piece of watermelon gets picked up by the human. And now all of a sudden the pheromone trail is taking you to a dead end. They don't have hundred percent of their ants always just pulling, pulling on that one food source. They've got others always out looking and she connected it to, um, you know, you should always take the call from the recruiter, even if you're perfectly happy in your job. Um, and in my mind, I was thinking, yeah. And that is a great way to think about, um, how you would, uh, develop and evolve and nurture a set of products, always experimenting, um, probing for something that could be different or better so that you don't have the one cash cow product. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden it's, it's, it's not there anymore. So I think there are echoes of what you just said in, in our, our good friend, Peter Merrill and his mm-hmm. whole thing, oh, with, yeah. um, sacrificing, you know, Steve, the brilliance of Steve jobs to sacrifice his current, to cannibalize his current customers in order to grow that S curve, right? Like, don't get, don't get tied down by that. Yeah. Um, and Horowitz did the same thing with, um, with Opsware and uh, Better Cloud or whatever it was. So I want to ask Ben a question. Ben, don't overthink it. It's a yes or no answer. Is the secret to coaching successful organizational change understanding how ants work? Yes or no? Probably. <laughs> That's the right answer. It's the right answer. So we're all going to become etymologists, right? We're all going yeah. to become etymologists. Um, but, um, well, Go on, Mike. Uh, but, uh, Jay, as you were talking, you you reminded me of another um, uh, rat, rabbit hole that y'all sent me down, and I'm eternally grateful. That was the Nicholas Talib anti-fragile. Yep. I that in in a different way than um, uh, uh, clean language and leadership as language changed my perspective and approach to coaching. That changed it in in equally profound way because prior to really understanding what what Talib is saying in anti-fragile I was in my mind um aspiring to a stable state or a resilient state and what it's what that helped me truly understand and really get is that resilience is good but it's not good enough that um Mm-hmm. And if anyone goes back and listens to the um, uh, Agile Uprising interviews with the Agile Manifesto signers, you know, in there, in that they talk about 
how they came up with the word agile and they were really um it was between that and adaptive but somebody already had adaptive taken but <clears throat> adaptive is more along the lines of anti-fragile where yeah. you're it's it's beyond it's resilient and then beyond resilient so you can you can adapt to whatever comes as opposed to just being able to bounce back to the state that you were in right and right when you and think about enterprises organizations humans that that's uh to me to, in, in my experience since then that's been key to um bring that perspective to my work uh would you say that was a hard read mike <clears throat> anti-fragile it it took um effort yes it was not it was not um a quick read by any stretch it um i found that um it took more effort and concentration to understand anti-fragile than it did to understand the book that jay refuses to read uh i'm gonna read it this year it's my goal it's yeah. one of my um it's not that i refuse i just can't get around to it that's on my uh that was a new year's resolution yeah, that's I'm good gonna, i'm gonna get um, through it uh don reinerson book the principles of product development i'll get through it i'll get through it eventually yeah. um so let me let me change gears a little bit ben i'm going to start with you not just reading but say podcasts web articles that you follow authors substacks what are what what's one or two things that you would say i think people should be paying attention to this person this site this podcast because i think they can get value out of it even though it's not in the agile wheelhouse um so the the one not a hundred percent uh ready for this question but i the one that pops to mind immediately for me is the jim rutt show um the, i mean lately i haven't listened to a, a lot of them but but i used to listen to every single episode basically there's just a lot of really cool really nerdy stuff sometimes it's quite dense the guy's clearly smart and he has on guests they're probably even smarter but yeah, Jim Rutshow just has a ton of ton of really, really interesting stuff. It just like the the intellectual level of that podcast is just it, you know, I kind of go from listening to basketball to listening to that. And it's just a complete, <laughs> complete, <laughs> complete right. turnaround. Right. Going from Bill Simmons to uh to Jim Rutt interviewing um Ian McGill uh Mag what's it McGill Christ? Yeah, yeah, McGill Christ about uh about uh, brain the matter makeup. with things yeah. and you know how we have the right brain versus left brain all screwed up and yeah. Well, you do need to form that rotation because if you just listen to nonfiction and stuff, you're gonna kind of make yourself crazy, you end up like me. Uh Mike, podcast, anything yeah, not um, books that you would suggest? Yes. Um four four podcasts. I just picked up my phone and looked through my, my podcast app. Um uh what's what's his name infinite loops um oh, mine. yeah Jim O'Shaughnessy. yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. i mean definitely beyond just the agile stuff but it it ties back in and dude is brilliant um uh, there's a radical candor podcast um which which is is usually pretty good and uh, uh, uh to unlearn with barry o'reilly is another one that I like. And then um, at the outset of the pandemic, I was really into this and have tailed off it a little bit, but uh, come back to it because it's always, always a good time is uh, remote work with uh, Lizette Sutherland. 
that's okay. uh, that's always got some some good stuff in it. And then if I get really just want something totally uh, out there, um, I'll listen to Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. Uh, so history is interesting. You mentioned that because Dan Snow's History Hit is one of the ones that's out there for me. He does 40 minute episodes. He's got that British voice, so it's easy to listen to. But we talk about all the time history repeats. It doesn't it's not that history repeats. It's human nature does. Human yep. nature will repeat. So understanding history, you do get a glimpse of what may potentially happen in the future. It'll be a different flavor, but it, it may happen. Uh, being as you guys took my two best ones. Um, I think if I was going to suggest anything, it would be um, the Santa Fe Institute has a complexity mm. podcast, which mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you, I find intellectually intimidating. Yeah, a lot tough. of them. There's some it's that tough. I have to listen to twice and then read the transcript to fully grasp it. Um, but I do find it's worth the effort um, that they had. They just had twins on. That was. Did you listen to that one, Ben? They had these two twins on talking about. Um, Danny Bassett and Perry Zern on the neuroscience and philosophy of curiosity. And it was like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> like my Lord, like it was, it was a lot. That's where I first found Deborah Gordon. Um, there's so much, so much interesting stuff there. That's what I would suggest. Uh, and I also would suggest if you, I mean, if not comedy or anything, uh, Dimitri Kafinas does a podcast by the name of hidden forces. And it's a lot mm. of, it's a lot of like, um, Wall Streety type stuff, investment, but he touches on technology. Um, I listened to a Muhammad El Aryan interview that was unreal. I listened to an interview with Jimmy Sony, who wrote the book on the PayPal Mafia, also the same guy who wrote that book on Claude Shannon. Uh, his most recent episode, which I just download, he interviews Chuck Klosterman, hmm. um, who's who's a compatriot of Bill Simmons, right? He, he did an episode in the 90s. Um, it, it's He's an interesting guy. It's not all finance, but again, it's it's adjacent enough to what we do that you might pick up some interesting ideas. And I think that's the the thread going through all of our suggestions for podcasts and whatnot is it is nowhere near adjacent or parallel to what we do professionally. It's uh, one could even argue it's almost orthogonal, if not in a completely different galaxy. But you come up with some interesting ideas. Never did I think I'd fall into ants. I found ants through Deborah Gordon, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let's let's take it one final round um, and let's we so we've done some books we've done some podcasts let's talk about is there a particular is there a particular website a particular web author a particular sub stack that any one of you follow that you think yeah people should be paying attention to this guy uh, Ben I'm going to start with you who should people be paying attention to you found on the internet that you're like yeah I read his stuff um, can I can I cheat on the question and change it a little bit? Yeah, I, sure. I think this person has a blog. I don't, I don't know. Maybe not. Um, but Bill Perkins wrote a book called die with zero. And so this one's a real stretch, but it has me thinking about product. So product thinking is obviously much buzzier than it was. What? Five years ago. I don't know. Um, and die with zero. The, the premise of the book is essentially instead of dying with, you know, a million bucks in the bank or whatever. Um, how do you how do you optimize your life fulfillment by spending that money at the right time and basically attempting to die with with zero, making the most out of your life? Um, as as someone who I admire once put it, sliding into home home plate with uh, with eight bucks in your pocket. How do you how do you try to get as close to that as possible? Um, and, and it got me thinking about like we don't really think about products in 
terms of a life cycle as much as we should. There's there's a like a big body of knowledge out there of how to think of an overall product life cycle um, when you're ramping up, when it's kind of peaking and plateauing, when it's when when you kind of gracefully retire it. And of course, there's the whole philosophical thing that you brought up earlier, Jay. When do you try to stack those product curves on top of each other and try to reach that exponential growth? But at the same time, from a human life standpoint, you can't really do that. Um, and not all products should do that. So uh, thinking about like this guy thinking about how to optimize his life for fulfillment, I thought was really interesting because I, I feel like when you're when you're on the ground, when you're when you're trying to make things happen, when you're trying to build things, it's often more, more, more. And we don't really we don't really shift our mindset from wherever the stages in that product development. Um, and I think it would be beneficial if we thought about where we are in the life cycle of the product more. Like we just kind of get hung up on on metrics and uh, output and throughput and all these different things. And a lot of that can be important, but we don't really think about where we are and where we should kind of where we should be. And should we kind of be gracefully retiring something as we allocate our calories elsewhere? Um, so, yeah, I, th that book, I, I assume that guy's got some sort of blog or something. And, and that tied, I mean, I'll just put this out there. We don't have to talk in depth about it, but that kind of got me thinking about just product thinking in general, it's rising popularity. The fact that there's a pretty new Marty Kagan article out about, you know, an alternative to agile coaches. And I, I think this is a really interesting topic of sort of like, whatever you want to call it, it, a dethroning or whatever. There's there's a clear sort of like wave of momentum for product thinking in general. And a lot of people are kind of sick of agile people as kind of being the process police, right? <laughs> right and so right. It, it, in, my, <laughs> in my mind, it's just sort of this whole kind of like <clears throat> misplaced thing. Like we should all be like reading all these crazy books and podcasts and stuff that we're bringing out here. And we should just be coaches, period, rather than you know, are we an agile coach or we a product coach or whatever? Um, but yeah, anyways, Bill Perkins made me think of the, you know, product life cycle and a, a human life life cycle. Um, and, uh, you know, product thinking in general, where, where is, where is that going? It does it have to be a brand that competes with us. Why, why is it not more complimentary? It's, it's getting a little awkward, I think, but you're you're inadvertently touching on the series we did at the end of last year around metaphor and metaphors matter and how we typically use mechanical metaphors to describe things that we work in using the term system and systems thinking and all that sort of stuff where realistically we work for companies which are basically by super scaled super organisms made up of biology parts parts in a biological system they grow they die they wither they thrive so it may be if we take that biological lens, here we go, Mike, I'm fighting biology. I should get out the glass. Um, <laughs> if we if we would take more of that to your point, Ben, that biological view of everything we interact with, right? And mm -hmm. the systems that we build, back to ants and biology, here we go. We might be more successful because maybe we would think smarter about what possibilities there are. Yep. Okay, okay, Mike. That's any, that's some that's some pretty deep stuff there, Jay. I don't know that I can match that. Uh, I'll eventually write the book. I'm going to get ChatGPT to write it for me. ChatGPT yeah, to write it for yeah. me. So, <laughs> uh, great segue, Jay. Uh, website that I've been poking around at a bit recently is uh, titled LearnPrompting.org. So it's it's a is org. It's it's a site that attempts to teach you how to write better prompts for the 
new generation of uh, AI uh, engines such as chat GPT that mm -hmm. are, are um, making a splash on the scene. And if you've seen the news recently, you know, Bing is going to be powered by um, by an AI engine, which uh, <laughs> kind of reminds me uh, something I saw in a newsletter this morning. Uh, <clears throat> a uh, Princeton professor referred to things like chat GPT and other and its brethren as uh, bullshit generators. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, if you can't tell the difference between something generated by chat GPT or an agile thought leader on LinkedIn, what is that saying about us? What is yeah. that saying? But um, you know, kind of a lot uh, tangentially related to that, very tangential. Um, I'm just going to use the opening to to go there because because that's actually why I'm out in California this week is um, I've uh, gone deeply into the ORSC world uh, since, since September and uh, finished finishing the the five court the fifth course this coming weekend and then I'm rolling right into the certification so. If you have a human system that would benefit from some awesome coaching, I'm going to be doing at least Call 100 Mike. hours of coaching. Yeah. Call Mike. But, call Mike. I've actually used his services as a pro bono basis, and it's come out great. Yeah. Um, but, but seriously, the <laughs> the 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 um, the body of knowledge and the perspective that Orsk has has brought to me is just it, it's phenomenal. It's just, I mean. Yeah, I'm talking to my wife. My wife's just venting about what's going on at at uh, at her office, and I'm finding myself thinking, "Oh, I see this. I see this. I see this." And you know what? If I could talk to them, I could do. And and just my my brain just starts going like, "Wait a minute!" You know, I'm I'm not going to coach that system. I'm too emotionally involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's good self uh, self control there. I would have been, yeah. you know. What, so, can you describe the ruckus? What kind of ruckus? Um, so I guess I'll, I'll take us home with that. Thank you, Mike. Uh, if, if there's one person I think everybody should follow on the internet and read, um, I'm kind of in sad Ben didn't mention Balaji, Srinivasan, because I think oh, he has some yeah, 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 yeah. brilliant, brilliant stuff. Um, I think the one person that everybody on the internet, everybody listening should go out and follow, it's Venkatesh Rao from Ribbon Farm Studios. He writes things where when he puts out a blog post, I actually have to clear off time to read it because it's going to take me a couple of attempts to get through it because it's very, very deep. He's talked about the importance of things like lore in our new systems. Um, he uses something to describe our current state of the world as the perma weird, but he does a lot of observational stuff about technology and human systems and behavior and, and history and how all these things are very interlinked. He's like, um, <laughs> he's, he's like a, an intelligent Nassim Taleb that's less abrasive. I guess, if you want to put it that way. Nassim, if you're listening, please come to the show. We'd love to have you. Um, but I think I, I I actually pay for his sub stack. So a good test of anybody, a good test of people, like knowing what what is what people really enjoy is what will they pay for. And I pay for his sub stack every month because I really do believe it's worthwhile. I carve out time to read his stuff, but it is he is out there really coming up with some very, very novel, interesting ideas that I find very, very resonant. I'm surprised you didn't mention Trung Fan, Jay. Oh, Trung Fan. Oh, another guy, Trung Trung Fan. Uh, by the way, did you see the thing on Twitter where he talked about he actually registered the website OnlyFans, P-H-A-N-S? <laughs> Want to talk about a missed marketing opportunity, right? Um, he's another guy. He's another guy on Twitter who's who's nuts 
but he is he his observations and stuff his content is really enjoyable his newsletter is free um i found the wolf of franchises for him from him who's this guy who talks just about the idea of franchising businesses we all need to open a drama juice by the way we'll talk later um but he it's just really fascinating kind of weird stuff and i mean if Benham is really interested ping me directly i'll send you a link to my feedly and my Substack. you can see what my subscriptions are and get a sense from there but there's so much really cool non-agile stuff out there that you can draw metaphors to to what we do um so with that being said, I'm going to real quickly before we get Ben out of here, he's about to turn into a squash or whatever. Um, what suggestions would you give to somebody? Mike, I'm going to start with you. So I, I pick on Ben for the last three questions. If someone is looking to find something something outside of their wheelhouse that they might be fascinated, what suggestion would you give them based upon your experience? To How would you hint that they maybe look how would, how would you hint that they would be most successful with finding something by doing what or by looking for what? What hint would you give if they want to if they want to say, okay, I want to get away from X and look at something else entirely? I would say um, look for something that is interesting to you that um, <clears throat> you you don't have tied up in your identity. Um, so, so something that and it may not seem like there's a a tie at all. Uh, so reading about uh, beekeeping, you know, uh, just about because what we do is really uh, centered on humans and human relationships. Most anything you can find, there will be a tie because it's written by somebody that's in the human race. So find something that interests you and then uh, put your work identity aside and just read it and absorb it. And as you read it or after you finish reading it, just kind of reflect. And, um, and then also just go look at, uh, at Jay's uh, Feedly and, you know, you have- I get terrified. Than, uh, what's, what's all these blogs about fucking ants? Why am I reading about <laughs> ants all the time? But, but just you know, <laughs> take the pressure off, enjoy it. Uh, Jay, you and I had this conversation not too long ago. It was like, if I have to work too hard to read it, to get through it, then I'm not really going to absorb it. And it's not, it's, it's not like really worth stick. my time. Yeah. I, like, uh, I think Annie Dukes in her books, like we've got 4,000 weeks in your life or something like that. Time is the most valuable commodity we have. We have a limited number of days walking this earth. So spend it somewhere that will give you joy or, or interest or, or scratch an itch, explore curiosity and see where it goes. <clears throat> Um, it, it may not, it doesn't have to be a direct line from, from here to there. And, uh, I offer the hypothesis that you'll be pleasantly surprised at, uh, what you can find and enjoy. And, and eventually it'll tie back to work because we're all part of this crazy thing called the human race. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ben. Uh, yeah, I got three things one is i'm just copying mike at this point to just hang out with jay so you <laughs> you you've if you've read most of the books out there then even if the ones that you haven't read you've downloaded so you have access to them so uh, so yeah one is hang out with jay for that exposure uh two is basically hang out with other people in general i mean whether it's you know picking up some sort of sport that you don't usually do or hanging out with a different crew or you know, whatever it is. Um, I mean, I've never programmed for a living in my life. However, 
hanging out with people who do on a fairly regular basis just opens up my world to all this stuff. And some of it I can't understand and some of it I, I can, but either way, I love hearing about it. I love learning about it. Um, and it's, it just kind of opens up this world that I, I wouldn't otherwise be opened up to. So just exposing yourself to others and, and getting to know them on a, on a pretty intimate level, um, you know, some cool stuff will open up there. And then lastly, um, you guys have already alluded to this, uh, it doesn't all have to be nonfiction, right? Um, mm -hmm. So my my brother's fiance was talking about this. I can't remember the name of the book, but it had something to do with, you know, it's it's the taken from the perspective of someone who is kind of locked in a hotel uh, during the Russian Revolution, and they're kind of just viewing the world change outside the window the whole time. And it just, if you want particularly more of kind of an emotional connection to learning about something new, I think fiction's probably the way to go more so uh, than reading a lot of these books with a million sources and citations in them. That's a very, very true statement. Very true statement. Um, hard sci-fi, you'll get mileage out of. I, I, I got to send you, Ben, this title if you're into it and willing to take a journey. There's an author by the name of Quantum. He wrote this book titled There Is No Anti-Memetics Division. And it's all about what if there is such thing as an anti-meme, which is not meant to be remembered, but also forgotten. And it gets really weird, but it's really kind of kind of nuts. Um, I'll send you the title. It was I really enjoyed it. I bought all the rest of the guys' books after finishing that one. I enjoyed it that much. Um, if I had to make a suggestion to somebody is how do I find some new stuff? I'm gonna use I'm gonna use a, an analogy. Ben's gonna be like, this is an old person talking here, but back when we used to buy CDs, right? Um, when you were into music and you picked up a band and you bought their CD, one of the things you checked in the liner notes is who are the bands that they thank? Who are the bands that hey, we want to give a shout out to such and such and such and such and such and such. And that was a way of knowing who the artists that you like, who are they into? Because maybe you'll be into it too, if you like their music. So my cheat is if you follow an author on Twitter, see who they follow back, see who they retweet. Um, if you if you like someone on Amazon, see customer not not suggested purchases, but customers who bought this also bought mm -hmm. what? Which now that I think about it, I probably destroy people's recommendations again. Again, why did I buy this book on ants? But that's an, a very low effort, easy way to understand what what you might be into, what might be adjacent. Find the smartest person you know and figure out what they read, or figure out who they're into, and then go follow what they're. That's how I found Vaclav Smil. It's Bill Gates mentioned him as a toss-off in an article. And I know Bill Gates now, he's he's of a questionable character, but that's how I found his books. And Smill is, is brilliant with some of his stuff. All right. So I want to thank uh, I want to thank Ben and Mike for taking time out. This was again, this was an unscripted, it was kind of like a jam session, but I hope you listeners enjoyed it. I am going to try and listen to this episode and get notes in the show notes for all the different content. Wish me luck. Wish Good me luck, luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, it's going to take a whole day tomorrow. Uh, but I do want to thank you both of you for taking the time. I want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again. You know where to find us. There's a Discord. There's a Patreon if you want to offset costs. And no, I don't turn around and use that money to pay for somebody's Substack. Uh, I want to thank Krebs for our royalty-free outro music. Hope everybody enjoyed this and hop into the Discord if you have suggestions of stuff that you like or gotten into that's not even remotely adjacent to Agile, but you find people might get some mileage on. Let's share some content ideas and, and build a conversation. So until next time, I want to thank you both. And this is the Agile Uprising Podcast signing out. <laughs>